Well, if you missed the uh, Christmas service Wednesday, we had a great time. Uh, I think many of you were there. So thank the Lord for that. It'll be a New Year's Day service because this is my only time to do that for you this morning. But then tonight we are going to have the Lord's Supper in Psalm 139. And we're going to go back to Christmas a little bit. So we do what we need to do. And uh, we're in that wonderful section in Psalm 139 that will lend itself to that. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 12. And you might be thinking, oh, with chapter 12, we're halfway because there's 24 chapters in Luke. But actually, we're over halfway because the first two chapters are so have so many verses. Uh, so we're already kind of at that halfway mark as far as the length of the book is concerned, even though the chapter division would indicate the halfway point. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. But uh, I'm going to be in a lot larger section. In fact, we're not even really going to teach these 12. This is a New Year's New Year's message. We're going to dip into it for exhortations and lessons for the new year. Luke chapter 12. In the meantime... When there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hidden that shall not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you've spoken in the ear in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. For I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him who after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. And I say to you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven. When they bring you into the synagogues and into magistrates and powers, be not anxious how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say. For the Holy Spirit shall teach you in the same hour what you shall say. Father, help me to speak and each of us to learn. We pray for everyone here. We pray for those listening at home. 
And we commit this morning to you as we close out one year in reflection of our lives and begin another year with anticipation. We pray that we would learn what you want us to learn this morning and be taught by your Spirit, minister to in our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So may God challenge us uh, for as a church for the coming year. We do not know what the coming year will bring, do we? We're not prophets and God's not telling us. Will Omicron become an Omega and the pandemic end? That would be nice. Some believe that's very possible. Uh, will Omicron become our Omega and one of, we will pass on? Uh, well, that's also possible, isn't it? Uh, what about wars and rumors of wars? What about economic and political and international issues? What spiritual opportunities, what possible new ministries await Athens Bible Church as individuals or as a church this next year? I know God's been working these last couple of years when it seems like things are so bad. What's going to happen if if this lets up or what's going to happen if it gets worse? Well, we don't know. James 4.14 says, We know not what shall be on the next day. We don't even know tomorrow, let alone next year. And James 4.14 says, If we do not know that, we surely do not know what shall be the next year, right? If you don't know what a day will come forth. James 4.15 says, We ought to say, If the Lord will, we'll live and do this or that. I guess the best thing all of us can remind ourselves of is that all our plans for 2022 should be written with a pencil with a very big eraser on the other end. And that includes our trip to Florida. We not, may not make it out of Ohio. Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you know not what a day will bring forth. So how can we navigate Life in 2022 when we don't even know what a day will bring forth, let alone a year. We don't know what's coming. Uh, especially as we're reminded that we're all closer to our home in heaven individually or to the return of Christ collectively. How can we navigate? Well, my practice in teaching book studies in the Bible is to not only teach the verse at hand and the chapter at hand, but to spend a lot of time reading ahead, reading the, the verses ahead of where I'm teaching or the chapter ahead of I'm teaching. And that's very important, isn't it? If you really want to teach a book of the Bible, you have to teach that verse in its context and that chapter in its context or even those chapters in their context you have to be thinking about 
transitions and connections and repetitions of words and thoughts and the larger context and the themes and why is all this in here and how is it all connected? That's just good Bible reading and initial steps in Bible study. So as we begin chapter 12, let's remind ourselves of something. Something that we've known since chapter 9. The Lord Jesus is on a death march to Golgotha. When we think of a death march, we often think in America of what happened in the Philippines in Bataan, which is a death march where the Japanese were marching uh, Filipino and American prisoners of war on a 60 plus mile walk. And if you dropped, you were shot. And that was it. 5,000 to 18,000 Filipino deaths and 500 to 650 American deaths on that march. Of course, some of them got there. Now, no one died. No one died on this trip so far or will die from Galilee to Jerusalem. But Jesus is going to die at the end of it. And his death is more than if they all died. His death is more as if everybody on the planet died. His death is a greater event than Noah's flood when everybody but eight people died. We're talking about the death of the God-man. And he's walking to his death and he knows it. He said that way back in chapter 9 and verse 22. Remember this verse? 9.22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And then he talks about us coming after him. And in 9.44, he said it again. He said, Let these sayings sink down in your ears. The Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Now, they didn't understand But he understood, this is a one-way trip for me. Now, in the United States, we have capital punishment. And we have what's called death row. And you might be on death row for 20 years. I think that's a big mistake, but that's the way we do it. But when you finally come, all your appeals are over. There's what's called a last walk. It usually starts at 6 o'clock, between 6 and 8, and you're walking from your cell in death row to the electric chair, to the place where they put you to death, and you know it. Jesus knows he's going to die. Every step he takes from Galilee to Jerusalem is taking him closer to the cross. He knows he's going to his death. And he knows the kind of death it's going to be. It's going to be worse than anybody was ever electrocuted or chemically put to sleep or shot by firing squad or tortured. It's going to be the worst death that's ever taken place since Adam and Eve fell. When he ends... This walk, 
he'll get on a donkey and ride into Jerusalem. That happens in chapter 19. And he's writing to his death and the last week of his life. So chapter 9 to chapter 19, 19 is when he gets on the donkey, is describing this long walk, the last walk of Jesus before he dies, walking to his death. And he's teaching and he's ministering and he's healing and he's active all the way. And that's a good example for us whenever the doctor says, this is going to take your life. you got six months to live. you got a month to live. you got a year to live. Okay, what do I do? I do what Jesus did. Fill it up with ministry. Bill Mingus loved to give people John 3.16, a fellow I buried uh, this week, lived in Bishopville. Some of you know that family. Um, so the wife, I said, what do you want me to, what passages you want me to use in the funeral? And she said, you can do anything you want, but be sure to mention John 3.16. So I preached on John 3.16 for 40 minutes. I don't usually preach funerals that long, but I know that's what Bill wanted. And I told the folks, so I said, fasten your seatbelts, it's coming. But when Bill found out he had cancer, that just increased his zeal to share the gospel. He always loved to share the gospel, but it just increased it. That's how we should face all of our trials. Okay, this is an opportunity to share the gospel. And and when we know that our turn on earth is getting shorter, all right, I've just got a little bit more time to do what the Lord wants me to do, so I'm going to get at it. Now this morning I want to look at five lessons and exhortations from this section, just in a general way. I'm not going to teach 1 to 12 like I would. We'll do that later. I'm going to dip into it. Just five lessons and exhortations for 2022 for Athens Bible Church or anybody that's listening. Lesson number one. A common thread through all the chapters from 12 to 19, if you just take all of them, a common thread that we see going on here. As I read it, I kept seeing it and kept seeing it. We look at Jesus and his example and his teaching, and that is something he's hitting over and over again for himself and for those that are hearing him, is this. We are to be living our lives now in the present in light of our ultimate future beyond this present life. We are to be living our lives now in the present in light of our ultimate future beyond this present life. I hope you're looking past 2022. I'm looking, I hope you're looking past your 80th birthday if you get that far or your 90th birthday. A common thread here is we are to be living our present lives now in light of the ultimate future beyond this present life. Not the immediate future. Not like, oh, when I retire, that what a day of rejoicing that'll be. <laughs> well, I hopefully will. I hope you get to do that. But 
uh, when we get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it'll be. We need to live our present lives now in light of our ultimate future, not immediate future of the next 10, 20 years or 30, but our immediate future beyond this present life and bring that future life into the present when we consider our plans and activities that we are doing now. That's the first exhortation. Now watch how Jesus develops this. I'm going to start in chapter 12. And I see him doing this constantly. It was like as the cross got closer, his vision of being out of this world was getting clearer. And he's teaching on it more than ever. Notice. Verse 1. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch they trod one another, he began to say to his disciples. Now notice who he's talking to. The crowd's there. It's probably, somebody said, it's probably the biggest crowd Jesus ever had. This is bigger than the feeding of the 5,000. These people are stepping on each other. It's really a massive group of people. But he says to his disciples, He's teaching the disciples, not the crowd, although the crowd's listening. Beware of the leaven of Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. We're going to deal with that next time. We're not going to deal with it this time. But why should I care whether I'm a hypocrite or not? Why not put on a happy face for everybody and a good face? Why why is it important I not just play like a Christian? For there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed. Now we're in what? The future. That's why you shouldn't be a hypocrite. Now we're all a little hypocritical in some areas. Why should my be as much as, as edifying an open book? Because there's nothing covered that won't be revealed. Neither hidden that will not be known. Therefore whatever you've spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. That's embarrassing. And that which you've spoken in the ear in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Not just heard in the next not just heard in the next room, but heard all over the city. In other words, the Lord is saying, live your life now, what you say and what you do, in light of what? That future day. When everything will be seen for what it is. Then, after the lesson on hypocrisy, we have a lesson on fear of persecution and the fear of man. Again, we're not teaching this this morning, but the fear of man and persecution is also to be brought into the light of the future. It's not what are they going to do to me now. It's what I'm going to be in the future puts what they're doing to me now or possibly threatening to do to me now in a different perspective. And I say to you, my friends, again, he's talking to the disciples who were his friends, be not afraid of those that kill the body. Don't sweat that. And after that, have no more that they can do. For I'll forewarn you with whom you'll fear. Fear him who after he's killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say fear him. Now what is that? That's future, isn't it? People getting cast into hell. 
Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. And so, what is this but putting present problems in the light of the future of meeting God? And then in verse uh, verse 8 to 12, lessons of fear of confession of Christ. A fear about opening our mouth for the Lord. When we think, oh, this will cost me something if I open my mouth for Jesus. And again, I say, whoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man confess before angels of God. That's in the future, isn't it? And he that denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him that blaspheme against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you into the synagogues and the magistrates and the powers, be not anxious what or how you shall answer or what will be said. For the Holy Spirit will teach you the same hour what to say. So all of this is put into the future, right? There, again, you have this teaching, a common denominator. Live your life in the present in light of your ultimate future, not your immediate future. Now you got a guy here that interrupts everything Jesus is saying and he said... Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He was looking at what? His immediate future. I'm not going to get the inheritance I expected. And I need it or I want it. Because if I don't have it, my immediate future won't be all I want it to be. So Jesus, I'd like you to intervene for me. Well, Jesus just cut that down, didn't he? And then he told the parable of the rich fool. This guy had plenty for his future. But then he died before his future ever came. And he, was, he wasn't rich toward God. We're going to get into that. So again, he's bringing the future in. He's bringing the future in. He keeps bringing the future in over and over and over again. And then he says... Instead of seeking things that the nations seek after, seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. Fear not, little flock, verse 32. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have, give alms, provide for yourself bags that grow not old. Treasure and have treasure in heaven that fails not. And where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupts. Or for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then 35, let your loins be girded about and your lamps burning and yourselves like men that walk. Wait for the Lord. Do you see how he keeps bringing the future in? Then the parable of the servants, when Peter said, Lord, do you say this to us or everybody? everybody?" And then he talks about the parable of the servants, and some think the Lord's delaying his coming. It's again the coming of the Lord. He's bringing it in all through this chapter. All through this chapter. I see the same thing in chapter 13. See, the same thing in chapter 14, same thing in chapter 16, 17, and 18, and 19. He keeps doing it over and over again in these chapters. I can't even quote them all because I don't have time. I've got them written here. Live in the present in light of your ultimate future, the future beyond this life. Don't be like the rich man who ended up in hell, who lived for this life and fared sumptuously every day and took no heed for his future, even though God sent him. A believer setting on his steps. 
Don't be like the guy, that rich man that built barns looking for his immediate future and had no thought for his ultimate future and his soul was going to be required of him. Don't be like the servants that are del- the Lord's delaying is coming and they're all occupied with this life. And they- There's a boatload of folks that the present is so compelling that they take little heed or anything after that. They're not just over-occupied with the present. They're totally occupied with the present. Eternity, heaven, hell, judgment day, judgment seat of Christ, great white throne, none of it is real to them. None of it. None of it at all. The here and now is their focus. You can't hardly get them out of it. And years go by and decades go by and they have less time on earth than ever and it's still here and now, not then and there. You see that especially in the Psalms. Psalm 49, 6 to 15. Psalm 37, 1 to 13 and 18 and 20. Psalm 73, 1 to 13 and 16 to 18 and 24. You keep seeing it in those psalms. They're men of this life. They think everything's going to be forever. They have no vision beyond this life or this world. You see it in Philippians 3. If you'll turn with that one to me. Philippians 3. Seventeen. You see it in Revelation 2 and 3 when churches are to live not in the present but in light of the future that the whole book of Revelation is teaching about. He always brings something about the future in the end of exhortation to every one of those seven churches. So it's not just be what you are, be what you will be as much as you can now. Bring the future into the present. Philippians Chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them who walk even as you have us an example. For many walk, of whom I've told you often and now tell you weeping that they're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame. And underline this. Where is their thought, thoughts? Where is their attention? Who mind earthly things? Philippians three nineteen. Yeah, Greg? Isn't that what I said? Yes, you said it right. Philippians, Philippians 3.19. But in contrast to that crowd, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body, that it may be fashioned like His glorious body, according to the working by which He's able to work to subdue all things to Himself. We have another mindset. We're looking for the Savior. I think it was G. Campbell Morgan, maybe somebody else. Every night he would say, maybe tonight, Lord. And every morning he would say, maybe today, Lord. (laughs) And so that's the mindset. 
Live our day. Live our life in light of our future. That's what Jesus is hitting. Why should you invite people over to dinner that you don't even know? The crippled and the poor out in the streets. You'll be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. He's going to say that later in Luke. So he constantly brings the future in all in all these chapters, 13 to 19. And we there, there's no way we have time to mark them all. You can read it yourself and get that. That's lesson number one. May God help Pastor Hickson to do that. May God help each of us to do that. To have that mindset and that focus. Lesson number two, exhortation number two for 2022. Let's determine to minister to people we meet in multiple situations and conditions. Let's determine in 2022 to minister to people we meet in multiple situations and conditions. And I'm talking about this, a mixed group. You know, family get-togethers are usually a mixed group, right? Some are saved, some are not. Bible classes are often a mixed group. Some are saved, some are not. Church services, even, are often a mixed group. Some are saved and some are not. And just like if you have a pe- people over to your house for dinner, often you will say, do you have any food allergies or you have any dislikes? Why do you say that? You want to fix something that will be palatable to them, right? You want them to have a good experience in your home and not think, oh, I'll never go in there again. They eat that. <laughs> and so you try to do your best to include them. And so whenever, we're, whenever we are in a group of people, we have to think about this. Some of these people aren't saved. If I have a chance to pray over a meal publicly and a family get together, I have a chance to say something at a family get together, or maybe I'm teaching a Bible class or a Sunday school class or whatever I'm doing, or I'm in a conversation where Jesus comes up and I have an opportunity to say something. What should I do? I, I want to say something for the Christians and I want to say something to the non-Christians, if at all possible. That's what Jesus is going to be doing in chapter 12. The crowds are there and they're growing. An awful lot of those people are unsaved and Jesus knows it. They're trampling on each other. And... Jesus makes a distinction between those who are his disciples and friends and those that are just part of the crowd. And so what he's doing in chapter 12 is that he's including things that should be said to the crowd for their benefit and things that should be said to his disciples for their benefit. He has that sensitivity It's not, you know, here's the meal, eat it and like it, (laughs) whether it fits fits your situation or not. He is ministering to both groups back and forth. 
And sometimes it's obvious which group he's talking to. Uh, and other times it's not. And even Peter got confused uh, as what was going on. So in verse 41, Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable to us or even to all? Uh, Lord, wait a minute, I'm not following you. <laughs> I know sometimes you're talking to the disciples and sometimes to the crowd. Which group is it now with this? This story about the servants and being ready for the coming of the Lord, because sometimes even people who think they're servants and think they're waiting for the coming of the Lord aren't ready. The way they should be. So Peter interrupts. Normally it was pretty clear. Now I'm talking to you. Now I'm, now I'm talking to them. And so a lesson here for this next year is I'm not teaching the Bible or having a group conversation around the table in my home and it's a mixed situation. I want to try to say something to pull everybody in, to minister to anybody and everybody. And I especially don't want to do this. I don't want to assume everybody's saved. Because that would be a pretty bad assumption. Because even among those who profess, not everybody's saved. Just because somebody says they're a believer doesn't mean they're really saved. Nor do I want to assume everybody's unsaved. Because there may be saved people in the group and you don't know it. So how do we work? How do we deal with this when we're in these situations? Well, Jesus is going to teach us about this in chapter 12. He has great flexibility. It's great sensitivity. It's like he's very sensitive as he goes back and forth ministering to people in this chapter. I hope you're not a specialist. I just teach saved people. Or I just teach unsaved people. Or I just teach kids. Or I teach... You know. Now, everybody's got their gift. And we ought to have something we know I'm better at teaching kids than adults. Or I'm better at teaching old people than young people. Or I'm better at teaching one-on-one. -on -one. We all have specialties in that sense. But we all ought to have the flexibility to reach out to anybody anywhere. Because that person's soul is very precious. That homeless person. Very precious. That person is so unlike you, they'll never be your best friend. God cares about them. Turn with me to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. So I see Jesus reading the crowd, reading the room. Politicians talk about reading the room, you know. What's the temperature here? What's going on? Can't you read the room? Can't you tell what people are thinking and so forth? Well, Jesus is very good about reading the room. And so was Paul. And he was intentional with this. This was intentional with Paul. I'm going to pick it up in Acts 26 uh, and um, verse 22. Having therefore obtained help from God, I continue to this day witnessing to both the small and great. That was Paul. Now he's witnessing to some pretty great people here. These are big shots. These are up and outers. 
But Paul would minister to down and outers too. He'd witness to the small. Paul wasn't just, oh, I've got to, I've got to witness to big, big people because I'm an apostle. You'd see Paul working with the small. He started a church in Corinth. Spent 18 months there. Those people were <laughs> not many mighty, not many wise. So he says, I continue this day witnessing to small and great, saying no other things than that which the prophets of Moses did say, that Christ should suffer, and he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light to the people and to the Gentiles. I hope in 2022, if you've been neglecting somebody or ignoring somebody, and you think, well, I can't get to them, they're great. They're, they're above my education or above my uh, intellectual ability, or uh, they're beneath me. I just want to work with other people. You haven't, you haven't been seeing, seeing them. Witnessing small and great, that's Paul's method. Turn to at, at Romans chapter 1. He's, that's Paul's method, and it was Jesus' method. He got criticized for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. But he did it. Because he's intentional. He was seeking to develop a relationship with them so he could minister to them. Romans 1, verse 13. Now, I would have you... I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was prevented thus far. What an encouraging verse. Everything wasn't easy for Paul. Sometimes things didn't happen that he was trying to make happen. He wasn't exempt from that. First century people weren't exempt from that. That I might have fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are Rome also. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul, Paul spread a wide net. You know, he wasn't just fishing for one kind of fish. And so may God help us to have that flexibility and uh, and in this next year that maybe God will broaden our view maybe I should witness to somebody that's a lot different than me and not just wait for someone that's like them to do it let's not just restrict ourselves as Jesus did not so the Lord was uh Paul was standing the crowd whenever he was. That's how what he did in the Sanhedrin. He saw one part was Pharisees and one part were Sadducees, and he cared about them all. But first thing, and, he, and I know he said, "I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee." He divided the crowd because he knew the Sadducees were going to be dead set against him no matter what. So he chose the ones that he might be able to reach and hit them. But he was sensitive. He was scanning the crowd. Just like 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, he was to the wise, he became wise, and all the, all the other stuff. He became all things to all men that he might win some. That's, he puts himself in the other person's position when they walk in the door or when they're in the room. How can I minister to that person that will be effective?
Um, now, how do we find out where people are at? Ask them questions. Let them talk. That's how you find out where people are. Don't just do all the talking. Get them talking. Out of the abundance of a man's heart he want, speaks. So it's a, it's a personal work principle. Let other people talk. Don't try to do all the talking. Find out where they are and then approach them once you find out where they are. And so good personal work thing. So two great lessons for 222. One, see the present in light of the future. Two, be determined to minister people in multiple situations and conditions. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing back and forth in chapter 12. Three, go back to Luke 12. Not only should we ask people questions and get them talking, but when they ask questions, we have a great opportunity. Whether it's a bad question or a good question, we ought to be able to turn it. And in chapter 12, Jesus has both. In verse 13, Jesus gets an extremely inappropriate question. (laughs) Jesus is on a roll. He's talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about all this really super important stuff. And it says in verse 13, one of the company said to him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. That kind of brought the mood of the whole thing down, didn't it? Jesus answered it rather um, sharply. But then he went on and told the parable of the rich fool. And he used that inappropriate question to minister to people appropriately. It's a marvelous thing. When people ask questions, a lot of them are dumb questions, a lot of them are inappropriate questions, you have an opportunity. Turn it. May God help you to turn it the way it should. Now in 1241, he gets a much better question. In 1241, Peter said, Lord, speakest thou this parable to us or even to all? That's a good question. That's a man that wants clarification. He wants understanding. That's an excellent question. Some questions are better than others. But all questions are opportunities to minister. Um, For a big part of my life, when I'm out teaching Bible classes, before I get to my lesson, I would say, are there any questions before we start? And often I never get to my lesson. And I think... It's important. People have questions, but they, they don't, they're embarrassed to ask them and they can't stand up in church service and ask it, but a Bible class is a place to do it. And all questions can be an opportunity for ministry. And Peter was actively listening. He wanted and needed clarity. Some questions are irritating. Some questions are, are, are gratifying. Using all interruptions and diversions. Some are insulting. Paul got an insulting question in Acts 26. Paul, much learning has made you mad. <laughs> That's an insulting question. You're nuts. 
that what an interruption that was. But Paul used it. No, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. <laughs> Very interesting how he used it. Four, fourth lesson, chapter 12. We need to count on in 2022 on the Holy Spirit and not our knowledge or preparation or wit. Some of us are afraid to minister, afraid we'll say the wrong thing or say that afraid we don't know enough or afraid we're not going to be prepared. If you read the Bible, you'll, you'll be prepared because the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind the right thing to say. I have fairly involved notes, but I don't stick to my notes half the time. They're there. And you think I preach long sermons. If I stuck to my notes, you would be amazed how long they would be. But it's important for us to count on the Holy Spirit helping us and not just our own preparation or knowledge or wit. And that's why Jesus said in verse 11, Now this is not a section to make preachers lazy on blacks and preparation or Sunday school teachers. I'll just depend on the Holy Spirit. I don't need to pray or read or study. But there will be all kinds of situations in life that we're not prepared for. And this is one of them. When they bring you, verse 11, into the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, now you're on trial for your life. You might end up in prison. This might be life or death. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious how or what you'll answer or what you'll say. For the Holy Spirit shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. There's nothing, nothing more exciting, even when you're prepared, than when the Holy Spirit gives you something you hadn't thought about while you're teaching, or while you're witnessing, or while you're trying to minister at a bedside. I like to tell you that's, a, that's one of the great pleasures of Christian work. I didn't come in here thinking about saying that, but boom, I walk in the door, and there it is. Holy Spirit puts it there. And what a a precious thing. It's a basic lesson for 2022. None of us can be fully prepared. There's always stuff we don't know. There's always questions people are asked or problems people have. We don't know what to say. And we don't want to just be stuck not ministering we want to be prepared but we we, we want to realize I'm a bumbler, I'm a stumbler and I'll probably not get it right half the time one of my favorite westerns is The Searchers with John Wayne 1954 movie, something like that John Wayne and Ward Bond and a bunch of others on a rescue mission John Wayne's niece has been kidnapped by the Indians and held by them. And they're going to charge through the Indian village. Uh, the cavalry charge. 
And Ward Bond is playing a Christian minister who's also captain of the Texas Rangers. And he's leading the charge. And there's a, the bugler blows the charge and Ward Bond said, let's go amongst them. (laughs) His, His preaching voice gets the best of him. Let's go amongst them. And they take off and they charge and all. So, but, um, one person in the party is not ready. It's a young officer that has this big, long saber. And he's riding his horse with the saber sticking out. Ward Bond kept saying, son, watch out for that knife. And Ward Bond is riding ahead of him. Everybody's using their weapons, but that young soldier is very careless with his saber. Apparently he didn't do any damage to the enemy, but he was riding right behind Ward Bond. And uh, so uh, no damage to the other side, but some damage to Ward Bond's backside. It was comical relief in that moment. You may think, I can't be involved because I don't know enough. I'm not ready enough. I'd be like that guy. I'll just do a lot of damage to people that I shouldn't be doing rather than out there the way I should be. The Holy Spirit is the one that's in charge of that, not you. And He knows what you don't know. And one of the reasons Stephen was so powerful and they couldn't resist the spirit by which he spoke because he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Read Acts chapter 6. And he accused that whole nation. You do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. That's when the rocks started flying. But it's the Holy Spirit that convicts men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And by God's grace, help us all to be filled with the Spirit in 2022 because he is the one that has to do it not us (coughs) human fluency is a rubber bullet and finally (coughs) for those that may be lost and listening to my voice You cannot commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit exactly the way people did in Jesus' day, but you can commit it. And it is no accident that the Holy Spirit's mentioned in verse 10 and the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and that it won't be forgiven. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned in verse 12. The Holy Spirit will teach you in the name, in the same hour what you'll say. The Jewish leadership was very close to committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' day, and some of them no doubt did when they attributed his miracles to the devil. That people can still sin against the Holy Spirit in the same way, even when God's Christ preachers are speaking, it's the same Holy Spirit. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous to mock very dangerous to laugh. It's very dangerous to deny because the Holy Spirit works on non-Christians through Christians sharing their faith. And 
We'll work on all of that more next time. But if there's someone that's not saved and you, you've made a lifetime of laughing at Christians and mocking Christians, you are on very dangerous ground. We Christians want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because if He doesn't work, anything we do isn't going to happen. Anything we say. We don't want to grieve Him. We don't want to quench Him. We need Him. We need Him to convict that unsaved relative or friend. I don't want to quench Him. I need Him. But the unsaved certainly don't want to, through their rejection and malicious distortion against Christians, to recognize, I'm not just dealing with this Christian relative. It's the Holy Spirit that has to convict me. And He's trying to do that through this Christian. And this is dangerous business. I'm on dangerous ground. So, for anybody that doesn't know the Lord, this fifth lesson, the same Holy Spirit that works through Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago is the exact same Holy Spirit that indwells Christians that are seeking to bring you to Jesus Christ today. You've laughed long enough. You have scoffed long enough. You've delayed long enough. This is very serious business. The Holy Spirit striving with you. Let Him do that work in your life while He will. Five lessons for 2022. May God help us to begin this year with those lessons in mind. Next Sunday, we'll start working on chapter 12 itself and just kind of deal with it uh, in an expositional fashion. Thank you, Father, for what uh, we've looked at today. And as we um, look past at the past year and we look forward to the next year, may we go among them. May we about our Savior's business. Jesus name amen